Hi everyone and welcome back to the Cinema Drip Podcast and thank you for tuning in to our bonus episode this week. I am not one for bonus episodes normally. Why? Because I need to, you know, produce them. Scott can say he wants bonus episodes all the time, I will say no to them. But this time it was my idea and so I have to face the consequences at this point anyway. Thank you. We kind of alluded to it in the last episode, uh, and both episodes came out at the same time. So if you came here straight from that episode or you are tuning this one in first, I would still recommend you go check out our other episode that kind of deals with ensemble movies, Robert Zemeckis movies, and what the next blend of the month is going to be. That being said, I was able to go to Sundance this past weekend, the Sundance Film Festival, held virtually in 2021, a place for independent filmmakers and other filmmakers and for movies some of which have no distribution so they might not be seen for years unless someone gets to pick them up sometimes hulu movies like palm springs or others get discovered from this if you liked whiplash whiplash was a sundance movie reservoir dogs also had something at sundance labs way back in 1992 it's a great festival to discover people And so we thought some of you might like to know what it was like being at Sundance. That being said, I'm not going to go through this entire episode by myself. I am joined here by my good friend and my roommate, Tyler Penn. Tyler, how's it going? Great, Christian. How are you? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm not... (laughs) I'm not bad. (laughs) You want to say something else about yourself? I'm a proud roommate. (laughs) Christian. I'm a fan of movies i do not come from the same film background as you do but yeah i think being whisked away is one of my favorite pastimes so yeah i'm excited to be on i mean i will say tell give us just a little bit of background of what you do for a living why you like movies uh anything any anything there that you would like to share sweet yeah so i currently work for a campus ministry called Crew, um, which we were both involved in in undergrad. Um, different campuses, of course. I work at UCLA and USC, and I've been doing that for the last six months. Movies, though, I've been involved in a lot longer. Uh, my family grew up, well, I grew up in my family, avidly watching movies. Um, nothing too specific, but usually big franchises. We're big into blockbusters in the Penn family. Yeah, kind of like what I mentioned. I love movies for the aspect of entering a new world, new characters who have very different experiences than I do. Um, Yeah, it's amazing. Awesome. So Tyler, I am really happy that you're here. I'm really happy that we can have this conversation. Did you know anything about Sundance before I asked you if you wanted to go? You know, I think one of the few things I knew was that it was in Utah. And that was one of the things that was not going to happen this year. <laughs> uh, but besides that, just lots lots of movies, lots of options to explore. So why did you agree to go to Sundance? Because I trust you, Christian. <laughs> I trusted that it was going to be a good experience. Um, but also just to kind of push, I don't know, the cinematic experiences that I've had. Everything I experience usually comes through a theater or some kind of streaming service but this was cool to get a first look at films that the world hasn't seen or critics haven't made up their mind about and i get to be part of that first wave of experience cool so i i mean i think i have a couple more questions for both of us to discuss about sundance but uh we ended up watching 15 movies we saw yeah yeah no i know we saw two on friday we saw four on saturday and we saw nine on sunday and as we said, we're going to be ranking those movies 15 to 1. So I kind of say we jump into those rankings and at the end talk about how Sundance has been as a whole. You ready? Oh, yeah. All right. So of the 15 movies, I think that we can kind of divide them into tiers. Yes. There's like a top tier, a kind of middling top tier, very much a middle tier. And then this movie, which is very squarely at the bottom. <laughs> Very profound. There's whale poop, and then there's oh this <laughs> shark tail reference for all of you. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. I I honestly don't like saying bad things about movies. I don't like people. People pour their you know put hard work into them. I did not like this movie one bit. In fact, I kind of left it angry, like like very angry at the movie. Yeah. No, I, I agree. 
wholeheartedly. It's okay. I can say it was colorful. <laughs> animation. I. We haven't even said what was, the title of the movie is. Yeah, yeah, might as well. So this movie is CryptoZoo. Uh, I'm gonna try and give a synopsis for CryptoZoo. Let, let's do that. We'll 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 trade off who gets to give like the synopses of some of these films. All right, CryptoZoo deals with someone, well, a group of people who hunt cryptids, which are animals previously supposed to be extinct. Like they find uh, the Baku, which is like a Japanese cryptid who eats your dreams and a gorgon is in there and dragons and, uh, and 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 so she's like on the hunt for them not to kill them or anything but to find them a sanctuary like this zoo where they can live in as as they get the rest of the world accustomed to having these creatures dwell among them i it, it was weird and i did not enjoy it do you have any other thoughts? Yeah, I don't know. I think even just hearing you describe it, it's like you're seeking liberation of cryptids by putting them into a zoo. I, th- I think we could have warned against that. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I don't know. I feel like I was put into a zoo and forced to watch this film for a while. The the animation felt like you were on acid. It did. It was so trippy. It was very trippy. I did not... I don't know. Did not resonate with any of the characters or any of the cryptids. And and this is something else too that I that I realized recently. You know how they're doing like they have this these interspecies relationships and how clearly they're trying to draw a parallel between that and racism or 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 something yeah, yeah. along those lines. But in that metaphor then people of other races or animals so that's like just not working. <laughs> it's problematic. It is problematic for sure. So that was number fifteen, uh, and it sits in a tier by itself. It does. That is the lowest for us. All right, let's move on to number fourteen. Tell us what number fourteen is. So number fourteen is I was a simple man, and that is a Hawaiian film. It's about a man who's coming near the end of his life, and as he's entering into this kind of final stage different spirits of his past start appearing. Um, and so it's really just exploring his simple, not so simple life. I think that's the kind of the question I think we had walking away was where, where were they going with this? I have to say it was beautifully shot. Like yes. it, it looked amazing. Not at one point in the movie did I really know what was going on. It was boring. It'd be like I took a bunch of photos from a vacation I took to Hawaii and put them in a slideshow and it's beautiful photos but i just didn't tell you the story behind it what was like i know that his dead wife is there yeah she doesn't do much no she just hangs out (laughs) (laughs) she's like surprise i'm back (laughs) but it's played by candace Wu, which is constance Wu. constance Wu. candace constance not the same thing. Not the same thing. I mean, sure, great cinematography, but at the end of it, I can't really say that my life had changed at all. I mean, I do want to go to Hawaii. But true. I think that was true prior to the film. There we go. Prior to the film. Prior to the film. And it's, just, it's still true. Overall, I am kind of mixed on I Was a Simple Man. I, I, I mean, I guess I'm saying that I was negative on it, but not really. I think I just needed dialogue like and, and and normally when a film doesn't have that much dialogue it's for a reason i honestly think this film didn't have a reason to not have more dialogue in it yeah i agree and it's hard when it comes in at what movie like seven out of nine or On... six and so that's something to think about coming out of a festival is how do the experiences of the other you know 14 films affect our perception of that one that's true i i i okay I'll, I'll give you that one. <laughs> All right. Uh, moving on to number 13. Number 13 is Human Factors. This was a German movie, if I remember correctly. And it tells the story of a family vacationing in France, I want to say. Mm-hmm. And they experience a break-in. 
And that break-in and the anxiety that that break-in causes shows how the family begins to dismantle. But the thing is, we see how the family dismantles from several different perspectives because we revisit that specific moment from not only different members of the family, but their pet rat also Mm -hmm. at one point. I have to say, I thought it was an interesting movie, Mm -hmm. but I don't think it had the most cohesive point it was trying to make yeah no i agree the point was kind of kind of muddled especially don't want to spoil the film but i don't think this is a movie you can really spoil well they're they're, okay question question mark uh depends how you're defining spoiling i will say that even though it was a muddled point this was a visually beautiful film for me it, it reminded me of on the rocks from 2020 and how it was shot there's a shot on the beach in this where the family's interacting in the waves. And I felt just transplanted, you know, to France. I was like, this is amazing. Like, I love the, the camera work. Uh, there's an opening shot even to the film where just one shot circling around as the family's getting settled into like a vacation home. And they're just creating a world in one swirl of the camera. I love On the Rocks. The thing about On the Rocks is that I thought it was like dealing with something and explained why this was an everyday anxiety Hmm. i think that what this family experiences is also an everyday anxiety of like distrust in marriage or problems and difficulties faced in parenting but didn't go anywhere with it just presented it and said this is tough but didn't say why it was tough for them that's fair you gave me one on the last one i'll give you one on this one (laughs) (laughs) But that's human factors. Uh, let's go to number 12. Uh, what's number 12, Tyler? Number 12 is Strawberry Mansion. This was actually listed under the next category of the festival, meaning it's groundbreaking kind of next step in cinema. But it's about a near future, what, 2033 or something, um, where the dr- dreams are being audited for tax purposes. And so it's the story of a, a man who is confined to this almost dystopian future and he begins auditing an older woman's dreams this older woman's an artist and through his experiences of her dreams he begins to be liberated from the grim future okay so that synopsis was pretty nice it was really beautiful you're a much bigger fan of this movie than i am i think yes now why would you what is it about this film that kind of drew you in i think the first third is there's a simplicity to it of just their props. It seems like it was, it felt low budget, but was tackling something big almost in trying to paint this world that is futuristic in a sense, even going to people's dreams, that concept, yet they use simple images to convey that, whether it's your dream occurring in a single room. Yeah, and so even with the props, some of them just look clunky and kind of cheesy, but it fits. And I think they just went all out on that front. And so I was drawn in really strongly in the first third of the film. But after that first th- third, I really didn't know what was going on as they dive deeper into the, I guess, subconscious almost. So before we started this movie, we both kind of compared the synopsis to Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Yeah. Now that is one of my favorite movies of all time. And it deals with soft science fiction the same way that this is soft science fiction and like how much you can go into dreams and people's conscience and subconscious. The the issue I had here, though, is that I thought, I mean, I, I clearly think Eternal Sunshine is a better movie. The reason being it grounds itself not just in like Jim Carrey's dream state, but also in what the science of it behind was. Mm-hmm. So I kind of think they had they should have gone further into the science and quote unquote of like what this machine is supposed to be doing like why we're auditing dreams uh what was like the original purpose of that how do people collect money how we discover that like an ad agency is involved how did they first become involved i think there's so much in the real world that it lost in order to go for this dreamlike state yeah, they sacrificed almost like a form of social commentary or some kind of purpose statement for the artistic side, which I think is something we both kind of agreed on at the end. Because I think the first third 
is decently strong and so incredibly unique and and charming yeah and then it just kind of spirals out i i mean i walk away if you watch this film you'll agree but i think chick-fil-a should start getting into some chicken slushies (laughs) biggest takeaway chicken slushies from chick-fil-a people would drink them oh they would uh all them christians out there (laughs) (laughs) shout out (laughs) (laughs) all right let's go to number 11 so number 11 is John and the Hole. John and the Hole was the first movie we saw at Sundance. So John and the Hole has a very simple one-sentence premise, which is John is a kid who puts his family into a hole and feeds them while he keeps on living in the house. Like, that's it. Like, that's the premise. It's funny also because we went to the Q&A afterward, and the... I know his first name's Charlie, the guy who played John. He was like, you know, I know I've thought about putting my family in a hole before. And I'm looking at it thinking, I'm I'm glad you drew from your real life experiences. Yeah. <laughs> okay, it's we did not hate this movie. Mm-hmm. We don't even really dislike this movie. Yeah. We just okay, give me give me yours first. Give me yours first this time. My thoughts on this one? Yeah. I we got to the end. I'm like, okay. <laughs> okay so i but i think on this was one you had to reflect on um, i i actually enjoy the themes it brought up of the transition to adulthood while being an adolescent um that what does that process look like we all long to be adults but as we grow up do we ever really swap to becoming adults and what's that process so i like the themes bringing up but it never really gives a solid answer which i mean the cast and director kind of confirmed saying they didn't want to give a clear answer but make this broader yeah it's it's just kind of there it felt slightly experimental especially because they introduce a second framing device with a little girl Mm -hmm. and how this little girl is supposed to tie into john and it makes no sense yeah so it's interesting and i think the filmmaking is there it just if if a movie's made up of many different pieces, these pieces aren't fitting together. It's like when you're trying to put what the the square into the circular peg thing. Yeah. And it's just not I not working for it. It's yeah. not working for me. And it wasn't bad. It wasn't you bad. Know. No, like I think people will watch this film and feel charmed. Yeah. And worried if they have a kid. <laughs> <laughs> like count your days. Anyway, that was our number 11, John in the Hole. Uh, Tyler, what's our number 10? Number 10 is a film from Brazil called The Pink Cloud. Uh, the premise, this might sound familiar and maybe scary how familiar it might sound to our current world. Um, basically, this cloud appears, this pink cloud, and it kills people within 10 seconds if you are in it. And so the whole world goes into quarantine, and it's focused on a singular makeshift family basically during this quarantine and the struggles that come with that it's it's funny because even before the film started they put a disclaimer saying that the movie was written in 2017 and filmed in 2019 Mm -hmm. and any relationships like or any similarities that it has with the real world are purely coincidental so you get this claustrophobic feel of this family living in isolation for i mean we've only been in it for a little under a year this family lives through it for what 15 yeah, years some ridiculous and tackles with all of the questions that we've tackled with now like how uh, if you don't have a bubble how do you get through quarantine mm. what does it mean to try and find someone during it what does it mean when you die because you can't really hold a funeral for people uh sometimes it feels weird even stepping outside and uh, these people can't step outside or else the pink cloud will get them so it's it's dealing with a lot of questions that we've all been struggling with the past year or so and i think that was something we talked about of would we have appreciated this movie more not going through covid or do we appreciate it more now that we're in it and watching this festival virtually? Yeah, I think it, it does raise a lot of great questions that you have to wrestle with. I put this film a, a higher on my personal list before we combined ours. And I think it does raise those questions of 
you know, what about even this next generation that's coming up? How is quarantine going to affect them? What is our responsibility as people before um, who have experienced life before COVID? Or I even trace this, I drew parallels to social media of people who didn't grow up with social media in middle school, you know, to have like a free, quote, free middle school experience. What is our responsibility to the next generation to hold them to that or to set that standard of being off their phones? Or do we let them adapt? Do we let that just be the new normal? And so I love the questions that it raised. The film, I think it did a great job of making us feel claustrophobic. There was a longing for connection that I think resonated, at least with me, I'm sure with you too, Christian, um, of just human interaction and what does it mean to be part of community? There, there came a point a little bit after the middle of the film where I got sick of this house, but and and I I I would appreciate it that because I wanted to not just see these spaces and these stairs and know like the first floor versus the second floor because i was tired of it i'm like go outside i was thinking to myself go outside risk it and i did appreciate that this film brought that out of me i will say i think i would have appreciated this film before covid more since i think we've already wrestled with these questions and i think i've wrestled with them more than the movie itself has so it's one of those where you know if movies are living documents i think this one is a victim of of its circumstance more than an innovative thing. I understand why you enjoy it. And maybe on a second viewing, I would appreciate it more. But, and I I mean, I'll say something. There are a couple of different weird sex scenes in this film. But I think that those sex scenes are kind of realistic of like what it means to like lust after something. I think that ties into it's not lust after a person. It's the lust of like leaving and being outside of wanting something sure temporary if i think that they would have survived a lot better if they were able to go outside even for a couple minutes and then go back inside you know this fleeting moments of passion and so i i will say i think that i mean as much as they're uncomfortable they serve the movie well yeah i agree and it is something where i'd love to talk to the creators on it and see how they would have adjusted the film if it come out even a year later, like if they had started production and COVID happened, if that would change their approach to it. It's true. It's very true. But for now, that's our number 10, the pink cloud. And let's move on to our number nine, which is Luzu. Okay. So Luzu is a Maltese film. One of the few Maltese films that are generally made. Malta, not necessarily known for producing a ton of cinema. It is about a fisherman who has a wife and child and the fishing industry in Malta is dying. It's just so difficult to be able to do something. And the government is also cracking down on fishermen trying to reduce the amount because, I mean, fish populations in general are going down. And his journey to try and find odd jobs and ways to make more money to provide for his child who has some growing difficulties, even though he's only a year old. I kind of thought this movie was pretty great. I And I know I enjoyed it more than you, but the, the thing I thought was great about this movie is that this man holds fishing to be almost sacred. And he's not wanting to trade it in he's trading it in for a pretty selfless cause but going about a selfless cause in selfish ways and in morally gray ways and that feeling of ambiguity of we don't fault the fisherman at all he is very much doing the best that he can in just the worst of circumstances but how even the framing of the film paints him as betraying his ancestry and how that takes such a weighty toll on his mind, even though it's looking toward the future of his child. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it was good. You did like it more than me. I think it, kind of the other aspect is when you start going against these things, when you start going against family history or um, start making these tough decisions it's like how 
like how do you identify yourself right your identity is changing um but that's kind of the beautiful metaphor of the, of the film right is you start with uh, an original boat and start changing parts until every part has been changed is it still the same boat or is it something new and yeah i think it's just beautiful um, talking about just the transition the change in person i think we do experience as we make choices throughout life so i like that but i think it was a little slow for me what would, it, what would your answer to that question be if you start changing every single part of a boat piece by piece and replacing it with a new one until you get to the end the entire boat has been replaced is it still the same boat yes i think so too and that's our number nine luzu that's our number nine number eight we have marvelous in the black hole christian you love this film. <laughs> Uh, I wasn't too hot. I think it's funny I got this one. Uh, this is about a girl, little girl, middle school. I agree on that age. What was her age? Well, I think I think she was like fifteen. Whoa, they look younger these days, folks. <laughs> uh, okay, or maybe early te- no mid teen. But she also like took a class at the community, community college. college. That's true. Okay, so it's about a girl who is. Of living undisclosed just, age. Of undisclosed age, grieving the passing of her mother and processing that. And she ends up getting roped into magic. Um, not the, not the game, magic. but sleight of hand magic. And exploring that. I think the artistic outlet of it and the grieving of her her mother. I, I think it was good. Nothing spectacular. Um... I failed to connect with the characters, but I don't know. It follows a lot of tropes I think I've seen, but Christian, I think you should talk more on this film. Here's the thing, though. I find it weird that you think this movie follows a lot of tropes when a film we're about to discuss later, I think, follows the same tropes that you fell hard for. That's true, but we'll we'll talk about that film. (laughs) No, okay, so Marvelous on the Black Hole is about... It is the story of a girl who's dealing with rage and, and, and not just rage, but the better description is just pent up emotion and how she realizes that it's not wrong to have negative emotions, but when there's something inside of you that's hurting you, what is the best way to at least talk about it? Because even talking about it and telling a story about it and kind of forming it as something that makes you stronger rather than something that is is what you look down on was a strength of this film i thought it was precious i thought the relationship between her and the magician who uh margo who takes her in uh, who begins to teach her that and how they speak to each other on issues relating to family builds on to the great metaphor of this film of broken family is still family and you can keep saying it's broken and maybe broken is an aspect of its identity but just because it's broken doesn't mean it's bad i thought that's what this was going for and i thought the way that um when margo teaches her how to make a stage show with imbuing a narrative a story into it from past trauma and she does the story of the moon i loved it i i I did it it's showing how you take what you have inside that hurts and you reframe it into the story of your life it's beautiful (laughs) (laughs) all right you know what fine (laughs) Just me trying here to pour out some stuff. <laughs> some stuff off the chest. Okay, that was Marvelous in the Black Hole. Uh, let's move on to number seven, On the Count of Three. So, On the Count of Three, okay, I will say that we have passed the middle tier, and now we're kind of in, like, some of the high, upper yeah. echelon. Mm-hmm. I would say it begins with On the Count of Three. Mm-hmm. So on the count of three was the second movie we saw. We saw it on Friday at around 6 p.m. I think we were eating McDonald's. It was pretty nice. It was so good. It was so good. Uh, And on the count of three deals with two friends, both of whom make a pact to perform double suicide at the end of the day. Well, by killing each other. And they're trying to figure out what they should do on their last day and deal with the emotions that have brought them to think they should end their lives in the first place. So it was... 
directed and stars one of the one of the two leads, Jared, who manages to balance this very very dark and dense drama with pretty light humor also it's very very comedic at certain parts we found ourselves laughing at quite a a a couple different points so i think that it was an interesting way to view not just suicide but also a, a line that sticks out from the film where one guy is talking to his therapist uh, and and the therapist says you keep looking for things that are wrong with you nothing's wrong with you those are those are some of my initial thoughts what did you think i i really enjoy this i do think we're starting to get into the the upper tier um with this one i think the relationship between the two friends i think on screen great chemistry but they're just there for each other i don't know like thinking about the last day of your life with your friend that's intense and like the emotions you're going through and the things you want to set straight and maybe the rage at people in your life and they're childhood friends so they've been there for each other and so there's sweet moments in it where they look at each other and they're like thank you you know for trying to cheer me up and they're at this point where it's pretty sad pretty depressing they're both at the point of wanting to end their lives yet they're able to look back and there's some moments in the film where they have fun together and i don't know i feel like that was powerful working in comedy and a sense of having fun and while diving deep into depression and what that's like to constantly have that you know on your mind but you're still able to seem like function you know it looks like they're having a great time but that doesn't eliminate the pain um that they're in the thing about this film also is that these are people who are choosing suicide as the answer for two different reasons and even that's explicitly mentioned one of whom says that he's gone to therapy tried every single medication there is and throughout all of it life is still one of the worst things he's imagined and the other guy who hasn't necessarily dealt with depression but is in such a low point that he thinks suicide might be the only option and how those two aspects of depression are interacting with each other Hmm. kind of shines a light and and what i think was palpable is that they're saying not all suicides come from the same place Hmm. and therefore not all forms of depression are seen the same way i think this movie was slightly problematic at times yeah i don't think it always dealt with the subject matter in the best way possible but i think it was very strong in tonally yeah how it managed to do so or and it really relied on the strength and the chemistry between the two leads who were hilarious yeah and who worked really well kind of reminded me of my last weekend before we went to before i had to go for thanksgiving yeah no that was very fun (laughs) that was a a good weekend weekend. yeah but that was our number seven on the count of three number six passing is the story of two women i could not tell you the decade 1920s i think was it 20s or 30s i was gonna guess 30s 20s sounds great um they both grew up in harlem one friend moves away to chicago but the film picks up when she moves back so they both come they're both black but they have the option of passing as white and so it's really this balance of one of them whose name is claire is now passing as white and it's the development of their friendship in this background of the 20s in harlem um yeah so it gets into topics of race um sexuality comes up what that means but that's kind of what that's where we felt wanting it brought up these topics that are so important and approached them from a different way but the narrative wasn't necessarily fully there for us a cohesive narrative it was very talky it brought up and i think it brought up in very profound ways not just issues of race but issues of exoticism Mm -hmm. like fetishization of other races thinking of other things as like extravagant just because they're different in the same way uh exploitation Mm -hmm. and also an interesting question if you are of light-skinned but of a different race and you use that to your advantage is that wrong and i don't think that's a question that can be answered necessarily and the film does a good job of not 
answering it, but showing the effect that that has. And I mean, I haven't talked to you this to you about, but I mean, I'm a lighter skinned Hispanic than most others. And I didn't see myself necessarily in the movie, but it was interesting how I can be whiter for people if they need me to. Hmm. The same way that these two women at times could be whiter for individuals and one of Claire it perpetually in a state of whiteness hmm. because otherwise life becomes so incredibly difficult. And then if you choose to take that on, what does that mean for well, your past? Like, what does that mean for, I'm going to say, quote unquote, your people? Yeah as in where your race is. Totally. I, I mean, I, I agree with you, though. The narrative isn't as cohesive as it could be. Yeah, I agree. But like you said, the, the themes and what it's bringing up and how it's approaching it, I thought was great. I mean, uh, coming out, it's like you grief, you know, that can't be full self. Or even there's that that need to pass, you know. Um, I think it was big and reflective and definitely one that's just a reflection of society and i think the question shouldn't be whether it's wrong to pass you know but wrong is in society and the need to i will say congratulations you managed to call the ending i did i did we won't spoil that (laughs) i foresaw though so don't be surprised you foresaw the ending a while before the ending yeah i was impressed all right, uh, but t- and Tessa Thompson and Ruth, who play the two leads, are incredible. They, yeah. they absolutely killed it. I have I I don't know if this film has been bought yet. I don't think it has been bought, but I think that it will, and yeah. I'm hopeful that people will see this movie and get something out of it. Yeah, I, I think it was definitely one of the most Oscar-y yes. films that we saw, and so I could see that coming up in conversations down the line. Absolutely. So that was number six passing. Yep. Number five, first date. All right. I, I, I still don't understand how you did not enjoy this movie as, thought it, as much as I thought you would Ugh. enjoy this movie. Yeah. I thought first date was incredible. I thought, okay, so first date deals with a kid who is going on this first date with a girl and he doesn't have a car to pick her up. Goes to this sketchy, I don't know, goes to the sketchy guy's house who's selling a car <laughs> like rips him off by selling this car for three thousand dollars when honestly it's worth like 20 bucks and a pack of gum (laughs) depends on the gum (laughs) true and so takes this beaten down broken car that feels like at any point you could try and turn it on and it would just explode basically your car is not was not too far off from that uh that's got bags of cocaine and gold chains inside and it goes into a wild ride of the robbers drug dealers former owners of the car cops girl classmates all of whom get involved in just trying to finish the night off strong. Yeah, but I think coming in, I was expect. Okay, maybe it's because anger comes when your expectations aren't met. I was a little frustrated that they didn't have much going on between the guy and the girl, whose first date it was, because she really doesn't join the Give action. the boy a break, and man! So, I know, he had a hard time getting there, but she joins a little late. I don't think they have really built chemistry by the end. And so I feel like that aspect was just lacking... The bad guys fell into the we're really stupid, bad, bad guys um, that you actually just kind of feel sorry for that they're the bad guys because they're very stupid. Isn't it great that all bad guys are bad shots in movies? Oh, it's awesome. It started with the Stormtroopers and now here we are. <laughs> <laughs> like there, I mean, eventually blood does spill, but I, I feel like bad guys, there should be a movie dedicated to just teaching bad guys how to properly aim. Yeah. It is it is quite... Okay, but you didn't think it was funny? Oh, wait, there was definitely some funny parts. It might have been Festival Fatigue at that point where... It was, I think, the seventh yeah, just movie we very, saw. I was pretty tired. Um, definitely some funny moments. But I don't, I don't think it really hit home for me as much as it did you. I think it was very fun. It was lighthearted jovial kind of a 
I got like a panting dog vibe, like, like it just kept going. Um, it was good. It was definitely enjoyable. I think that's why we have it high up. I think a lot of people would enjoy First Date. It's kind of an adventure movie, kind of a heist movie, kind of a romance. Not that much of a romance, which I I think that was the biggest problem. Yes. Okay. My words. So if if we're so basically, you want if a movie's gonna go for romance to fully go for romance. Yeah, at least let me vibe with the couple, you know. Okay, fine. But that was number five, first date. That that was number five. Yeah, number four. Why is that? Oh, okay. Number four, we have Homeroom. Homeroom is a documentary following the 2020, um, the class of 2020 Oakland High School seniors. Um, they actually decided to make this prior to COVID. And there's a lot to unpack in the 2020, the 2019-2020 school year from riots, unrest uh, in our country um, to COVID and being quarantined at home. I think that this film did a great job of capturing that and what it's like to be a senior in high school. I felt that being a senior in college and graduating, transitioning during COVID. And so it really resonated with me, but also seeing these students who... I think all of them in the film are people of color and like seeing even their experience with racial protest and the exposure of systematic injustices in our country. And like they were having these conversations before, you know, all the protests were happening in our, in America. And it was interesting to see a film showing people calling for the end of a specific police department way before yeah. And I thought that was kind of, you see the journey that led into the eruption. Yeah. I think that the movie did a great job in casting its characters and knowing who to focus on because they are full of personality. They're people you want to keep on seeing. You want to keep on hearing them talk. You want to hear their point of view and follow them on this journey. I, I would like to get your perspective on something. I thought the film didn't... Okay, I thought the film talked a lot about how these students are facing injustice, injustice, but didn't always describe these injustices fully so that I could understand the magnitude of what they were going through. Yeah. What were your thoughts on that? I think when we talked about it post-film, I was like, yes, that would have been awesome. And so I begin to wonder. I feel like so much of it, like not in terms of like police brutality or you know, right. wanting to police, but... I think for me, even the experience of being in like a last year of school during COVID, I was like, I have the experience. And so I was just like resonating with them. And so I don't know how much of that was even like overlaying my experiences with theirs and being like, oh, I totally get like quarantining at home. And like they missed out on like a prom and it was like missing out on like senior trips and stuff. And so I think a lot of that, it felt like my experience aligned with it. And so I wasn't needing the specifics on that um does that make sense it does i will say i liked homeroom i think that the you're gonna disagree with this i think that this should have dropped two spots and been six and then moved the rest up no yeah no i liked it a lot more (laughs) i was vibing with it okay so now we're gonna come to the big injustice of the entire night which is that i get to read the next name yeah this is tragic (laughs) No, no, no. You're, you're, you're definitely going to read it. Don't worry. But the, these top three movies are not just the top three movies. They're like on a different planet. Yes. So good. <laughs> these three movies we all saw on Saturday. Mm. Saturday was a freaking awesome Amazing. day. Oh my goodness. We did a good job of choosing these films. <laughs> I agree. No, but uh, for everyone listening, I mean, you're going to get to hear my number one, Tyler's number one, and then our collective number one, which was our individual number twos. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we don't just like these films. We love them. And uh, one of them's already been bought. Tyler's about to talk about that one. If these movies come out, we cannot recommend strongly enough that you should see them. In fact, let me get these notes out so that we can properly mention names once it comes time to mention names. But I, you knew I wasn't going to take this movie away from you, so talk about it. Bless. So this we had at number three. It's my personal number one. Uh, the only five star that I gave because I just wanted its own category. Um, it's Coda. And so Coda follows 
the story of Okoda, child of deaf adults. And yeah, it's set in Massachusetts and she is dealing with a love, a passion for music and how to pursue that while also still caring for her parents and her family. She has a brother and her parents. And so it's really this beautiful film that does it follows a lot of tropes this is what you were referring to earlier she has the high school sweetheart that she has eyes for um, but she basically ends up joining choir and it's that pursuit of passion but then family ties i think what i love so much about it was i think the incorporation of deaf parents and like that dynamic of being at home and just things you don't think about of like parents making noise trying to focus on homework and there's so much humor i feel like it's so almost humanizing in a sense but also the performances of the actors i think are so enhanced by sign language and their whole body is in like every word they're saying and some of the humor is through almost like the explicit hand gestures of signing i thought was so funny and just brought a new level of comedy that i haven't experienced and really any other film. I'll I'll ask you I'll ask you when we're done potting, but now that you've had some time to reflect on it, I would want to get your thoughts on how this compares to Sound of Metal for you. And Sound of Metal was the film that I loved most out of all 2020 movies, but I think Coda's incredible. And I think Coda's incredible because it follows these tropes, because it's a high school rom com that takes it a step further. We've seen every single possible high school rom-com there could be there are a ton of them and so the, it, it's the question we always ask when a movie gets a sequel it needs to be does this movie deserve a sequel when you make a rom-com do we need to watch another rom-com and in this case absolutely because these individuals these children these actors deaf actors have not been able to be given this light and they're funny like, they're funny. They can act. It's humanizing seeing what they're doing as parents, what he is doing as a brother. I mean, I, I, I've used this term a lot on this podcast. It's slightly emotionally manipulative. Hmm. Yeah. But I was okay being drawn to feel a lot because I felt a lot with this film. I mean, even our roommate, Timmy, like, he only saw glimpses and said that he was, like, near tearing <laughs> yeah. up with, like, those different glimpses of it. So, it's, man, this got bought by Apple TV. Mm-hmm. So, it'll be released on Apple TV Plus eventually, and it got bought for $25 million, which is a record-breaking amount of money to spend on a movie at Sundance. The previous record holder was Palm Springs, a movie that both of us actually, yeah, yeah, we both really enjoy Palm Springs. Uh, And so following also in this trope that Palm Springs was incredibly successful, not just on Hulu, but people raved about it like on social media and talked about it. I think that they will do the same thing for Coda. I think that Coda is a film you can't dislike. Yeah, I agree. And I there's one scene that I think was one of my favorite scenes from the whole festival. And it's a scene while she's singing and it goes to the perspective of the parents and just how they see the impact of their child. And it's beautiful. I don't want to like give too much, but definitely brought me to tears while also just being so creative. Um, Shout out to Sean Hader and the team. And there's a scene also, the main actress is Amelia Jones, and she plays Ruby. Her dad, you know what scene I'm talking about, when when he meets the boyfriend. Oh, yeah. I, I was dying. He, <laughs> let, let's just say, let's just say her dad uses sign language to tell them to use protection. And it's not what you would expect. It's better. <laughs> it's much better. <laughs> it's so good. Um, but I, uh, I'll i throw out a couple of names. So, I mean, as you said, Sean Hader was both the director and the writer of this film. And not only that, it starred Amelia Jones, Eugenio Derbez, Troy Kotsur, uh, Fredia Walsh-Pilo, Daniel Durant, and Marley Matlin. It's a 
It's a fantastic cast. It's so good. Watch it and cry, and it's okay. And then leave a like and subscribe. No, Who's that the guest? No, I'm just kidding. I'm going to let you talk about the next one, because this next one was your number one. Um, Our number, collective number two movie. And uh, I think this shows just how much of a selfless person I've become to allow this to be number two is one for the road it is a thai language drama it was directed by uh, a director who goes by the name baz co-written by him the plot's kind of weird so it follows a bartender in new york city who's goes by the name boss he gets a call from thailand from his friend ud who says he has cancer, Wood has cancer, and asks Boss to come back so that he can help him go and say goodbye to his ex-girlfriends before he passes away. This is a movie about friendship. This is a movie about two friends who have gone through a decade's worth of love and loss together. It uses flashbacks extensively, to talk about the relationships that Ud and Boss had in previous relationships. And these aren't just flashbacks. Like, these flashbacks don't just go on for a couple of seconds and stop. Some of these flashbacks are like 10 minutes long. Full parts of the film, yeah. And tonally, tonally, this movie's all over the place. The first third is reminiscent of, like, Scott Pilgrim versus the world. The second third goes into some deep drama. The last third goes into a little bit of Parasite, a little bit of, I, I'll also kind of say Eternal Sunshine of like weird mixed memories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I get that. And yet, it has the most basic message in the world. If you knew you were going to die soon, how would you say goodbye? And we've heard this message time and time again in movies. But the thing is, this movie didn't focus on trying to push that message. Mm. It focused on two friends and said, it's not about you living, you audience member living. It's about these two friends and how they want to live. The ending is heartbreaking a little bit. It is. It's so sad. The screenplay is one of the one of the best screenplays I've ever seen. And I came out of this movie thinking, I can't believe that I just saw this. And oh my goodness, that was incredible. Yeah. I will say the the narrative, just the creativity, the use of flashbacks, like you said, was one of the most cohesive. And I feel like a lot of these films that we watched over this weekend, I got the vibe that they were just using the characters for some larger point. These characters at the end, I was like, I care about these characters. I want to know how their story ends. Like the commentary from the director, maybe why they were making it, was so secondary. I was like, I want. To, I'm so engrossed in this story. And that, that core, you know, theme of friendship and even the idea of being remembered and, like, clearing up past with people, I, I don't know, it, it strikes a chord. It's a buddy road trip movie, but it's not just these two friends are laughing around as they, like, drive to different places. It's more these two friends have been to hell and back and are now going back to hell. So what does that mean for them? I wanted to cheer at several different parts of this movie because, and like you said, the narrative in terms of also the direction, the director, that opening scene, awesome, and not like the rest of the movie. That ending, heartbreaking, and also it it it, it was like a hundred thousand different unique aspects to each oh, yeah. part of this film, and and here's the thing, so the director's name is Natawat Punpria. And it was written by not just him, but also Natapan Boom Prakab and Puangsoi Aksarnsa Wang. And I'm saying those names because those names deserve to be said. And the cast, the two lead characters are Thanapab and Natara, who play Boss and Ood. And oh, oh my goodness, never have I just looked at a film and said, whatever this director and these writers have done outside of this, I need to see it. Yeah. Because I bet it's not going to be at all like this movie, but it's going to be incredibly unique and stylistic and make me care about it. I think that the best thing a movie can do is make me care about its characters. And oh my goodness, 
was I all in for them. It was so good. It was so good. Yeah, this is my number one movie. This was my number one movie of the festival. And this is currently my number one movie of 2021. Not too many titles have come out. Yeah. And also, though, I I don't always give movies five stars. I gave this five stars this before the movie ended. Yeah. I'm happy about this film. I'm happy we got to watch it. I do think that, I I mean, I, I will say, at parts of it, I was like, well, Tyler's my friend. <laughs> <laughs> I, and I think that was an interesting way to even see the film. Yeah. Can't recommend this movie strongly enough. You should... All, if you have the chance, if this get bought, gets bought and distributed, please, film people of the world, buy and distribute this film. It is worth your time to be taken along for the ride with these two friends. They have our endorsement. They have our endorsement. We come to the last film. Now, this film I love, this film you love, both yes. of us put it as number two. Yeah. We loved one movie more than this, but collectively as our number two, it became our collective number one. Yes. So, and that movie, you take it. All right. So this movie, Primetime. Uh, it is uh, a Polish film, and it's set in the year 1999 on New Year's Eve. So they're going to year Y2K. And it's about the story of Sebastian, who takes over, a, I don't even know what to call it, a newsroom, in order to broadcast. Kind of. He, like, takes hostages. He takes hostages, yeah. So he takes hostages because he has a message to send out. And there's a lot of fear, and we don't... I'm trying not to spoil, because this film is so good. It's his journey of... I don't even know how to describe it. It's so good and complex. It's his journey of trying to get something on air. I mean, I think that's the most basic way to say it. Yeah. But it's so much more than that, because as we start to see... The background history of not just Sebastian, but of the two hostages he takes, it kind of starts to unravel in, in in the sense of we learn what it means to be a performance, what it means to perform, and what it means to lie. If and that's kind of weird to think about, but this movie is very much what does it mean to lie, and what are the different reasons why people lie? Yeah. No, I, I agree. I was processing what you're saying. And I don't know. I think that even the backdrop is so perfectly chosen of 1999 going to year 2000. And all the fear, if you don't know Y2K, the idea that basically the world's going to end. All the computers in the world are going to somehow shut off and basically go into darkness. And it's just the end of the world. And so New Year's Eve, going to New Year in a typical year is full of hope. Um, but it's set in this tension of hope going into a new century while also balancing that, that fear and this story of Sebastian where we have no idea any of his background going into the film and just the extent that is taking to silence him right from airing this thing. And so it's in this backdrop, it's this question of should we be hopeful? Like, look how terrible it's been and even coming at the end of the 1900s where it's a century full of death two world wars many more wars um and so i don't know it's just it's beautiful uh, it's beautiful the director has us the whole time it's suspense we couldn't look away for a second or you would miss something yeah it's constantly moving i i'd also want to say though uh, the performances are next level the performances of Sebastian, the performances of Mira, and, oh man, okay, the performance of, we can't pronounce his name. We call him Greg. We call him Greg, eh? Greg's great. Greg, Greg is great. <laughs> but Sebastian, Mira, and Greg, it's, it's almost heartbreaking because none of them want to be there. Like, Mira works in that newsroom. She does not want to be there. Greg has worked in that newsroom for years. He does not want to be there. Sebastian, it feels forced to be in that newsroom, even though he's the one taking hostages. <laughs> and as all three of them are forced to be there, and you start to understand this anxiety, the same anxiety that you were talking about that's plaguing people as they're entering the new millennium, which is plaguing him as he's doing this unspeakable act of, uh, of telling people, hey, 
I have this note and he has a note. He has a piece of paper that he's written something down on. And he says, I want to read this. I want you to broadcast me. I want to be on air as I say this. It starts to kind of dismantle all of our preconceived notions of who they are because they're constantly keeping us guessing, which I think is good in the sense that human beings should constantly be keeping you guessing. Their spontaneity, how good, they're all great at lying. Oh, so good. They're so good at lying. It's thrilling. You you end up caring for Sebastian and you want to know what you think drove him there. I think that when the movie ended, I said, this movie feels like a movie about Stockholm Syndrome, but it kind of works. Yeah. I remember we kind of turned. He's like, what do you think? And I just kind of sat for a second. I was like, I think he was like chilling. <laughs> you know, like it's it's not shy. It's not holding any any punches. And it's just, it's so present, especially it's filmed during the pandemic. And so it's very tight knit crew very small space but there's even one scene where sebastian confronts his dad his dad shows up and just that interaction it's chilling and just you start getting insight into what brought sebastian to this point and man the acting in that scene that was also so the scene in coda and then that scene were some of my favorite scenes of all this festival um but yeah you just it's hard to watch those scenes but it's so good i think another thing about prime time is our question got read during the q a yes it did so we asked so the the note that i mentioned that sebastian had that he'd written something on we asked a question at the q a for the director and for the actor and they read it they said who had submitted the question they read the question out loud and they both answered and we're like, we made it. We're, we're good festival goers. <laughs> we participate. <laughs> we don't participate. I honestly, that that's part of the reason why I've, why I'm very okay putting primetime as our collective number one. Because like it wasn't just good at, in this sense of a good movie. It was a great movie. It, it was a movie we were able to partake in the greater Sundance experience for. And also, if it hadn't been for Coda for you or for One for the Road for me, we were like, primetime is the movie to beat. It got beaten, but it, it set the standard. It did. And so for that reason, we highly, highly recommend primetime, this Polish drama, when it hopefully gets picked up and gets brought to the world. All right. Well, Tyler, we are, we ran through 15 movies. Proud of us. I am proud of us also. So those were the 15 films that we recommend. Let's alternate reading the titles again. I'll start. When we get to number three, please read Coda. I will. Number 15, CryptoZoo. Number 14, I Was a Simple Man. Number 13, Human Factors. Number 12, Strawberry Mansion. Number 11, John and the Hole. Number 10, The Pink Cloud. Number 9, Luzu. Number 8, Marvelous in the Black Hole. Number 7, On the Count of Three. Number 6, Passing. Number 5, First Date. Number 4, Homeroom. Number 3, Coda. Number 2, One for the Road. Number 1, Prime. Time. I will say we got the full Sundance experience some movies we weren't the biggest fans of, some movies that we thought were pretty good, and some movies that are at least going to stick with us for a long time. Definitely. Especially, I mean, I know that you don't do end of the year list, but if you were to look back, I feel it unlikely that Coda gets left off your list. Oh, yeah, I'll be in there. <laughs> in terms of just the festival overall, I'm not going to ask you if you would do Sundance again, because I'm assuming the answer is yes, because yeah. I would do Sundance again, and you're coming with me. <laughs> but... Is there anything else that you remember or that you're thinking back on Sundance that you appreciated about this experience? I think just the invitation to experience new things and step out of, I don't know, kind of the monotony of movies that might be streamlined towards us, but really experience. Like if you notice, like five out of the 15 were world cinema films. And that was so refreshing. I think most of those made it high on the list. Um, and so that was so good. And I think, setting aside a weekend it was refreshing i thought it'd be burnt out from movies by the end but it almost felt like a palate cleanser of we experienced so much especially in rapid succession it makes me excited to continue just watching film and there's so much there and there's so much to digest there's 
so many things that can be said through movies. And I feel like we got a, a great sample, but definitely not a full sample of what's out there. And so it's exciting. Not to mention, we both have full-time jobs. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but we, I'm glad we made time for this. I'm glad that we made time for this together. You should always experience Sundance with someone else. You should not experience it by yourself. I mean, I'm looking forward to it. When we were done with Sundance, we were like, why don't we create our own 15 movie film <laughs> yeah, fest? Yeah, let's do it again. <laughs> I mean, honestly, though, I'm down. If it's 15 movies that neither of us have seen, I'm down to do that. I was very excited to have you on the pod. Thank you so much for joining in this discussion. Yeah, thanks so much. It's been a blast. I'm hopeful that you will come back in the future. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> no, but Tyler, thank you for being on and thank you for coming to Sundance with me. It's... No, it, it's been great. Not too many other people would have asked to go. I'm honored. But to everyone, uh, if Sundance movies start to get purchased on the pod, believe me, we will start to talk about them. Currently, I think nine or ten have been confirmed to be bought. Uh, think Most of which we haven't seen, which is great because now we know that movies are going to be distributed from Sundance that we can see for the first time. Yes, it's perfect. To everyone else, several different film festivals are going virtual, some for not that much money. The Slam Dance Film Festival is going virtual for just $10. I think South by Southwest Film Festival in the U.S. is also going virtual. We recommend it, and hopefully when we're able to have these film festivals in person, we can do so. They're to give emerging filmmakers a chance to be distributed. These voices deserve to be seen on the big screen sure but also to be enjoyed and respected by people thank you all for tuning into this bonus episode thank you once again to tyler for joining us and this has been the cinema drip podcast